You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 4. Let's uh, stand together. We're going to read the uh, first half of the chapter here. Not quite as long as this morning. I was uh, telling the choir that I'm glad we didn't lose anybody reading that text today. That was a long time to stand, and, uh, uh, but I, I think probably us Americans have gotten used to, uh, to not reading long passages of Scripture. I think it's probably been different at times past, even in our own history in, in the United States. Um, certainly uh, in some of the temple worship, uh, they would have probably stood a lot more than we do. And uh, so, anyway, I'm thankful, thankful for your, your willingness to do that. I know it was long, and I was f- squeezing a lot in this morning. Um, but I'm looking forward to the rest of the Genesis as we go through that series. But we're back in Arise and Build. Nehemiah chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall. Does that name sound familiar, Sanballat? We've talked about him already. He's an enemy of, of Jerusalem, the Jews, it, said, it says, he heard, when he heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation. He was burning with anger. You've probably seen somebody burning with anger before and says he mocked the Jews. And he spake before the brethren and, he, and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? I mean, can you imagine with every question... Uh, you know, when somebody's getting the rest of the crowd pumped up, he said, Will, what, are, what are these feeble Jews? And the crowds are laughing. And, and he says something like, will they fortify themselves? And everybody says, no, and they're laughing. Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? And everyone's saying, no. Then Tobiah, there's another familiar name. He jumps in. The Ammonite it was by him and said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. And everyone laughs at that. Hear, O our God. Now we've come to a prayer from Nehemiah. For we are despised and, and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people, love this phrase, had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we, were not, we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them, and cause the work to cease." And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers, 
and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord. That's a good phrase right there. Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord. But then he goes on, which is what I want to focus on tonight, which is great and terrible, and this phrase, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And we're going to stop there, and I want to focus on the relationship between the families and the work of the Lord. Because there's a mutually beneficial relationship between families and the work of the Lord. Between, in our case, we'll just say the church and our families. There's a mutually beneficial relationship, and we're going to get to that after we summarize the chapter here in just a moment. And it's called tonight, the title, I'm just calling it Mutually Beneficial. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I appreciate you standing in honor of God's word. To this point in the narrative, Nehemiah has worn many hats. You think about the hats he's worn. He's been a cupbearer in chapter 1. He's been an intercessor also in chapter 1. He's been a building planner. He's been a negotiator. He's been an expedition leader. He's been an ambassador. And you can imagine him taking off the hats and putting on the different labels, the different hats. He's been a motivator. He's been an organizer, and he's been a delegator. You name it, Nehemiah has done it. But he's about to step into new territory. See, in addition to the builder, contractor, and motivator hats that he's wearing even right now, he's about to put on the army general cap. He's about to put on a new cap because a battle is coming. See, what were once verbal threats by Sanballat and Tobiah and all their cronies, is, has escalated into something now physical. The work of God, not just verbal threats, but the work of God, the physical work of God, is being threatened by the enemies of Jerusalem. But even through the trouble, what I, Nehemiah gives us an excellent blueprint on how, the best way to protect the work of God when there is trouble. And, and I don't want to be discouraging tonight, but I want to just say this, that trouble is coming. Trouble is always on the horizon when God's work is being done, when there's progress being made. And we already saw Sanballat, who we believe was a Moabite, and Tobiah, that he's an Ammonite. These two men, they come from families that have long hated the Jews, and they've long hated God's work. And they hear that progress is being made, and and Sanballat is obviously not happy and he's angry, he's burning with anger, and it says that he's actually mocking them again, like he did at the end of, verse, of chapter 2. So he gathers his army together, and he starts working them into that frenzy that we were talking about, just imagining the crowd laughing and after every one of those statements. And it just kind of reminded me of a football locker room, you know, where the football uh, player that, that's the leader of the team, and, and he's saying, are we going to let them score? No, they're not going to score. Uh, they're not going to get, they're not going to make a yard. We're going to stop them. Our defense is going to step up. Uh, they, they can't touch us. We're going to beat them. And, er, 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 and with every phrase, I know that's terrible tr- locker room trash talk. But, but you know, he's, he's really trying to get them worked up into a frenzy. And I see them laughing and I see them mocking. And Tobiah even gets into it and says, yeah, even a little fox. If a little fox came along, and, and he could knock down their wall. Now, you can imagine the environment. You know, they're really built, the blood is boiling. 
They're no longer empty threats. There's a battle coming. And in verse, uh, verse 11, they're even talking about, we're going to sneak in when they're not watching and we're going to kill them. This is serious business now. And we've already talked about it, but with the work of God has enemies that will do whatever they can to stop it. Uh, John chapter 15, Jesus said, if the world hate you, you, you know that it hated me before it hateth you, because ye are not of the world. The world hateth you. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The enemy is so active against God's work that trouble can show up at any moment. And many people view that as a sign to stop the work. They think, well, trouble is here. I need to stop and I need to focus on the trouble at hand. But that's not what we see Nehemiah do. And I thank the Lord for Nehemiah's example because he shows us how to endure against the odds even when trouble comes. And the work doesn't stop even when trouble comes. And we have this fine example of a man that shows us how to respond when trouble comes. And we're not going to spend a lot of time in the rest of the chapter. There's one point that I really want to focus on tonight. But for God's work to move forward in the face of trouble, there are some things that we need to be. And the first thing that I see in Nehemiah here is if we want God's work to move forward in the face of trouble, we need to be prayerful. We need to be prayer warriors. And Nehemiah's first action in verses 4, and we already read it, Hear our, O our God, uh, and cover not their iniquities, he says in verse 5. Verse 9, it says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. Um, Nehemiah's first action was prayer. And folks, our first stop on the trouble train should always be at God's station. I know that's cheesy, but I was pretty proud of it when I came up with it. Our first stop on the trouble train... That sounds cheesy now that I'm saying it out loud. But you know what I'm saying. You know, when trouble enters our path, our first step should be toward God. And a lot of times, it's not. A lot of times, when trouble comes, we immediately share it with the world. And I, and I want to make sure that, I, that you know it's not wrong to ask people to pray. But don't ask people to pray until you have prayed. Seek God yourself. Your first stop should be your knees between you and God asking him for help. That's what Nehemiah does. We saw this pattern in his life back in chapter 1 as well. Because we're not strong enough to stand against trouble. And if I share my request with other people, they can't help me either. But God is strong enough. Make sure you don't ask others to pray for, for something before you have. Be prayerful. If you want the work of God to continue in the face of trouble, the first stop, the first thing we ought to be is we ought to be prayerful. The second thing that I see here is that we ought to be determined. See, the best way to combat trouble is to be determined. You just have to make up your mind. And these people in verse 6 had the mind to work. Half the wall was already done. They'd already made great progress. They were already committed, so they weren't going to quit now. You know, we're already halfway done. Why would we quit when we're halfway in it? And I love the phrase, they had a mind to work. And I really could have preached a whole message on that one phrase, that they had a mind to work, because I think it's that important, especially for those of us involved in the work of God, that we just have to decide. We just have to decide that nothing will prevent us from doing the work of God. We just have to decide sometimes that even when we don't feel like it, we're going to be in our place. We just have to have a mind to work. 
you know, you've been there before where, where you don't feel like doing something, you don't want to carry something through, and you just have to make the decision, I'm deciding, I'm putting my mind to this, and I will not stop until I'm done. Uh, you know, I, I recently began, began a new, trying to do a new workout regimen, I'm trying to, you know, shed the winter pounds that have come, that I've learned, um, they seem to stack more quickly here in Sioux Falls. I thought the pressure of preparing for messages every week and sitting at my desk would help me lose weight, but it has not. I started this new workout regimen that I, that I got from Brother Troy Swift. And I'm telling you, don't ever get a workout exercise routine from Troy Swift. It involves lugging a, a two-ton bear on your shoulders up a mountain or something. So I started this routine, and it's only 10 minutes. And at about seven and a half, eight minutes, I said, I am done. And at that point, I had made up my mind uh, to keep going about four other times. It was tough. And you know, when, when it gets tough, you have to just decide. No one can make it easier for you. No one can make you, can, 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 can uh, kind of give you a shortcut. There's not an easy way around it. Some things you just have to work through. And when, when it comes to God's work and trouble at the same time, you just have to decide, I will not quit. I will continue to work. I'm putting my mind to this. And again, I could preach a whole message, and I'm starting to, and I don't want to, but most of our problem comes in our thinking. When it gets hard, we tell ourselves that we can't, when really we can we just have to decide to do it. We must simply decide. And if we don't make a decision to commit, we're going to quit. The last thing to do in the face of trouble is to quit the work. Continue at all costs. That's what Nehemiah is, 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 is showing, and that's what the people are showing. For God's work to move forward in the face of trouble, you've got to be prayerful, you've got to be determined, and you also have to be wise. Look at verse 9. It says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Now, this is interesting here. I think you see the contrast that Nehemiah makes it clear their first line of defense is God. But he also stops and sets up a human guard. See, faith is the most important element in the work of God, but it takes human effort as well. You see, a lot, and there's got to be a balance here in that some people think, well, you know, it's all of God, so I'll just let him do the work. But he expects us to do our part as well. It's kind of like protecting yourself. You know, faith, uh, there's been a, there have been a couple things happen recently at, at, in, our, in this area. You know, there was a woman abducted uh, from, from the Walmart parking lot a, a few weeks ago. And just, I mean, terrible things. I, I read a story in the Hy-Vee parking lot, um, the one that we go to. Fun. So there's a woman who had, had put, turned her car on with the automatic start. And, and as she's getting in, someone came and kind of pushed her over to the passenger side and was going to take her and the car and drive off because it was running. But what they didn't realize is she had done the remote start, and so the key's not in the ignition. And when they realized the key wasn't in the ignition, they got spooked and, got, and ran out of the car and ran off. You know, that's some scary stuff happening. And especially when I think about the fact that I've got some girls now that are driving and there have been plenty of times where we send them to Walmart or we send them to Hy-Vee and we have them go run errands for us because that's the purpose for getting a driver's license when you're 16 or 17. <laughs> that's the one reason. 
Otherwise, it, it, it's not really worth the, the doubling of our insurance every month. So, but, but, you know, we talk to them about that stuff. And, and, and there is something about, about trusting God. He is our ultimate first line of defense. He is our protection. But that doesn't mean that I want, when I go into high V, I leave my car running with the keys in it and the doors unlocked. That's just not wise. And it doesn't mean that I leave my house unlocked and I put a sign up and said, we're gone, house is unlocked, come in and make yourself at home. We don't do that. Because God is our first line of defense. He's our ultimate protection, but he expects us to do, their, to do our part as well. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. Uh, he's being wise about it. He's not just, just saying, well, it's all God, so I'll step back. No, we have to do our part as well. God's the first line, but he expects us to be wise too. I see something else here that's important is that it, we need to be clean. Look at verse 10. It says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. What they're saying is when they say uh, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, what they're saying is that we're tired. We're exhausted. And, and on top of that or beneath that, there is much rubbish. So we're not able to even build the wall. They're saying we're already exhausted. We're already tired. But look around. There's still trash and rubbish and stones from the last time the walls came down. Like We cannot build walls if, if we don't clear this stuff out first. But we're already so tired we can't hardly do anything. And I think it's a good spiritual picture in that that leftover rubble represents the stuff that we have to get rid of in our lives if God's going to continue to work in us. See, we cannot build on a foundation with garbage. We can't build on a foundation with rubble. We have to clear that stuff off if we want God to continue to work. It's amazing when we were building our house. It's amazing. One thing I never thought about was how much you have to stop and clean up after you're working. I mean, actually, you have to do it every day. And if you don't do it every day, there's just stuff everywhere. And you can't build if there's stuff everywhere. And that's happening here. And the same thing is true in our lives and in the life of this church. If we want God to continue building and working and growing this church, we have to clean up the rubble first. We have to make sure that we get things right with God and get things right with each other before the work can continue. And that could be an entire message in itself. But I'm working through quickly tonight, so we're, we're moving on. You know, Nehemiah gets words, word that the enemies are going to try this sneak-up approach. And we see here next that in, the, if we're, in order for the work to continue in the face of trouble, we also have to be positive. Look at it, it says in verse 12. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. So here's what's happening. My understanding is this, in this is that there were Jews that weren't involved in the rebuild. There were these Jews that lived next to those, the enemies. They, they, they were kind of out there near the enemies and they were hearing what the enemies were saying. They were hearing that the enemies were about to attack and they were hearing all of this stuff and it says they came to meet Nehemiah. Again, the people that aren't helping build the wall, right? They come to Nehemiah 10 times. And they say, no, listen, we, the, we've heard their plan. And it doesn't matter whatever direction you want to run away. If you want to try to get away, they're going to be there. There's no hope. And they come back again. 
That's the first time. They come back again the second time. Hey, I'm just telling you, Nehemiah, we heard what they're doing, and wherever you try to go, they're going to be there. There's not, you're not going to be able to get away. The third time, same thing. The fourth time, the same thing. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, in the work, when we're trying to work in the face of trouble, and when God's trying to do something and continue the work, and things aren't easy at times, the last thing that we need is for people to be negative about it. And that can really hinder the work, folks. We need to be positive about the work. Because yes, the enemies are everywhere. And yes, wherever we run, they're probably going to be there. But I would have just wanted to say, like Nehemiah probably did, maybe like eight or nine or the tenth time, he might have just said, okay, that's fine. But have you, do, you, do you remember the God we serve? Do you remember how powerful he is and that he's our first line of defense? I know what you're saying and I know things don't look very good, but can we be a little positive here? And in addition to that, the ones that were coming and telling them about how bad things were, they weren't even the ones helping with the wall. So be positive. Remember that, that yes, it doesn't look possible and I know it doesn't look easy, but these squeaky wheels coming along and being negative about everything is not helping the process. We know the enemy is formidable, but we're trying to build a wall here. Let's focus on the positive and, and let's try to get rid of that negative spirit. And we could preach a whole message on that, but we're not going to. We're moving along. Well, this other, the next one that I see is be realistic. In verse 13, it says, Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I said... I even set the people after their families with the swords and spears and their bows. Nehemiah puts the, put the guards in vulnerable places. So what he was doing was adjusting to the spots that were most likely to be failure points. He was putting people in the weak spots along the wall. And this is a great point to be made here. And if you have an area of weakness, take steps to shore it up. If we're willing to, to admit our weakness, we tend to be less successful at taking actual steps to make it stronger. We say, yes, I know that's my weakness, but Romans 13, 14 says, make not provision for the flesh. And, and sometimes we know that we have a weakness and we know that God wants to do a work, but this is a, this is a vulnerable spot here. And, and so it's not shocking when someone continues to struggle with this sin if they don't get rid of the things in their life that trigger that sin in their life. We have to be realistic about our failure points and work on those. You know, I think about, it's interesting how I've known people that struggle with alcohol. And it's not a surprise that they continue to struggle with alcohol if they refuse to get rid of what's in the cabinet. What they haven't learned is that they need to learn the principle of incompatible behavior. Meaning, I need to make it impossible for myself to continue in this sin. I need to take some steps. So what does that mean you ought to do with the alcohol? Well, you need to pour it down the sink. You need to get rid of it. Don't go home a certain way. If you struggle with something on your phone, and we got men that maybe struggle with something that they're looking at, a young man, then get rid of the smartphone. They're not that smart anyway. I mean, they don't really help you very much anyway. They just take up your time. Get rid of it if that's a struggle for you. Make an incompatible behavior and say, this is a weak spot. This is something that if I'm not careful, this will be where the enemy targets. And we have to be mindful of that as a church as well. There are areas in which Satan would target us, and we've got to be mindful to shore those areas up. Uh, we have to be realistic and say, yes, this is a weak spot, and yes, we're going to take some steps to strengthen it. That's what Nehemiah did. 
But the point that I really want to focus on tonight is found in verse 14, and that is just, I'm just calling it be reminded. You see, this is where we spend the application because Nehemiah has this appeal. He begins this appeal and reminds them first, he says, remember who's on your side. Here's the reminder. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be ye not afraid of them. Why? Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. That's a great place to start in the face of trouble. That's a great thing to be reminded of whenever you are dealing with trouble, but you want the work of God to go forward. You have to be reminded of who's on your side. And what Nehemiah is saying is you don't have to be afraid of them. Remember that God is on your side. God has given us promises and God has all power. This cause is his. He's already promised that if we'll return spiritually, that he'll help us to rebuild this place. And we can have confidence in that. He'd already proven himself. And that's the first thing to remember. And honestly, it deserves more time than we'll have tonight. So that's probably what we'll deal with next week. But I'm going to deal with the second appeal that he makes. The second reminder that he gives. You see, Nehemiah knew that this situation looked bad. And he knew they needed to remember that God was with them. And the enemy was at the gate. And more than just the work of God was being threatened. He wants them to remember that there's more at stake than just the work of God. In verse 14, he says, remember the Lord and fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your houses. See, Nehemiah is making the point that is, if the work of God doesn't continue, it's not just the walls at stake, folks. If the work of God doesn't stay strong, it's not just walls that could come down. And this is the second thing they needed to be reminded of. He's saying your families are at stake. Your children are at stake. Your wives are at stake. Your brothers, your sisters, your houses, your household. Nehemiah is saying if the walls come down, your family will be exposed to a dangerous enemy. And in order for the work to continue, Nehemiah had to remind them what was at stake. Nehemiah is saying, it's not just the work of God that will stop. Your family's future hangs in the balance. So Nehemiah's appeal starts with, remember the Lord. And then he says, and fight for your family. See, to this point, Nehemiah has dealt with laborers. But now he's trying to get them to see themselves as warriors. And he's trying to get to, get, to convince them um, you know, that they need to transition and they need to take the laborer hat off and they need to put on the warrior hat. He's saying you can't just be builders now. You've got to become warriors. You had a mind to work already. Now, now take that same mind and fight because it's coming. See, the same mind to work is needed to defend the same commitment to God that we've had to build walls is needed to now defend our lives. And Nehemiah uses what they love as motivation. He says, fight for your families. Your brothers, your sisters, your daughters, wives, your household, they're all at risk. And if we don't have a mind to fight, we could lose what matters the most. That's what he's saying. What I'd like to take away then from this is that the work of God and the protection of our families 
are intertwined. See, look at verse 13 again. It says, Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. See, Nehemiah's actions in verse 13 are sending this message, the work of God needs your family if it's going to move forward. But in, but in verse 14, the message is the future of your family is dependent on the strength of the work of God. So you better fight for it. Are you seeing how both of these are true? Nehemiah wanted them to think, if God's work ceases, it puts my family at risk. If the walls come down, my my family is exposed. But at the same time, he wanted them to think, but if my family ceases to be strong, it puts the work of God at risk. Both are true. The future of your family is dependent on the work of God, and the future of the work of God is dependent on your family. Kind of reminds me of a feedback loop. And if you know anything about sound, you don't like the word feedback. You know, it's an occurrence in which the output of a system becomes, turns back into the input of a system. Almost, it's a loop. And it could be negative in that if, if, if this microphone is coming through this monitor, which it's not, and I lean over and I send the signal back into the monitor, which is sending this signal to me already, I'm going to get feedback, and that's a negative thing. But it's also, uh, there's a positive. And I think about a positive in terms of something like the weather. You know, you've got the clouds in the sky, and the clouds come, the clouds send rain. They, they, they send moisture to the earth, and it comes down and it benefits the earth. It helps us to have something to drink. It, it helps to grow vegetation. And then through the process then of evaporation, it goes back up into the sky and then comes back again. And there's a loop. It's mutually beneficial. There's a feedback loop going on. If I could give it layman's terms, is what I'll use this then. Say, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. There's a mutual... I love to get my back scratched, by the way, and I'm not going to talk too much. I could preach a whole message about that too, but I'm not going to. That's my number one reason for feeling sorry for single people. There's a mutually beneficial relationship. And I'm going to have, I love to use the Wasson boys as illustrations. So you two guys, why don't you come right up here? Uh, Jonathan and Elijah, come here. I I want to use them um, if for nothing else, they just love the spotlight. You know, the relationship between a church and a family, and I'm going to point, I'm going to say this again, the strength of the family is the backbone of Eastside Baptist Church. The family unit being strong is beneficial to Eastside Baptist Church. But Eastside Baptist Church is absolutely of great importance to the strength of your family. And it goes both ways. The strength of the family helps the church. The strength of the church helps the family. The strength of the church helps the family. The strength of the family helps the church. It's a loop and it keeps going. It's mutually beneficial. And that's what we're seeing from Nehemiah. He's saying, get involved on this part of the wall. But listen, if the walls come down, your family's exposed. So get involved in the work of the wall or your family will be exposed. They're helping each other. So I want you guys to then just sit. Okay, You'll sit back to back and you'll face that way. Just go ahead and sit down on the floor right here, uh, just back to back, just like this. 
Not, don't, do, don't cross your legs. Just kind of put your knees, put your legs up. Your, you put your feet on the ground. There you go. Feet on the ground. Both feet on the ground like this. There you go. Okay, you ready? Okay, maybe you've seen this exercise before, okay? In that both of these guys are dependent on each other to stand up. And if one doesn't do their part, the other one's going to fall down. And if the other doesn't do their part, then the other one will fall down, which we would rejoice in probably in this moment. So what I want you guys to try to do is without using your hands on the ground, I want you to stand up. And that means you're going to have to push against each other. Really just trust each other, okay? Is that possible for brothers? I just want you to trust each other, and I just want you to try to stand up. And we'll try it. No, don't, you can't, don't put your hands on the ground. Are you ready? No, so try to stand up. Push against each other real hard. Go. There you go. Excellent. Now do it again. We're going to do it again. This time, because that was fun, do this time lock arms. Do the same thing. Do the same thing in lock arms this time. Okay, lock arms. I think this might even make it better, and it might even be uh, a better way to, to illustrate. Go. Look at that. Isn't that wonderful? Great job. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. He looked at me like, oh, I'm really mad at you right now. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to belabor the point tonight. I think you see. If one of those guys represents the church... And the other one represents the family. If one of them pushes in an imbalanced way and the other one is weaker, then the other one falls down. And it goes the same way for the other one. If there's one that's weak, the other one falls. And if if the family unit at Eastside Baptist Church is weak, this church will not stand where it needs to. But if this church is not as strong as it needs to be, the family units in our church will not be strengthened like they need to. There's a mutually beneficial feedback loop going on. Eastside Baptist Church is only as strong as its families. And we, we can work to labor and, and try to reach our community and we can increase in missions and we can develop new ministries and, and prove what we're already doing and, and raise the level of excellence in, in areas like music and become more efficient and more streamlined in our processes. And we could grow and we could fill this place up. But if the families that make up the membership of Eastside Baptist Church don't make the decision to be committed to God in your walk and in your testimony and in your daily lives, the best programs in the world cannot overcome that. We need families that are sold out to God, committed in every way, spiritually, financially, in child rearing, in having the right priorities, and faithfully attending every service, and being involved in outreach, and being a light at school, and being a light at work, and dressing in a way that people know you're a Christian, and using speech that honors God, and building a home that's established on God's word, having a spirit of peace, and unity, and humility, and bearing the fruits of the spirit. Those are the kinds of goals that our family should have. Those are the kinds of families that strengthen a church. And east side is only as strong as our families. But the other side of the coin is true. The future of your family is impacted by the strength of Eastside Baptist Church. And, and I know a lot of people will say, 
well, you know, the church isn't that important. We've got some real solid things going on at home. And that seems to be a trend these days, the home church or the family church. And listen, I don't assume wrong motives. I just don't see how a family can justify downplaying the importance or the necessity of a local church if they're even just casual readers of the New Testament. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and into good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. That's not talking about a family. That's talking about a local church. Ephesians 4 says the work of others in a local church is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And a few chat verses later, it talks about how speaking the truth in love helps us to grow into Christ in all things. The local church is here for our benefit. It provokes us to good works. We're exhorted by it. It perfects and edifies and helps us to be more like Jesus Christ. How, could we, how should we ever downplay that role in our family's life? If that's God's intention and he loved the church enough to give himself for it, who are we to say, well, it's not that big of a deal? The church is being, according to Ephesians 5, the church is being prepared to be presented to Jesus Christ like a bride. You can't tell me the local church is not important to God, and therefore if it's important to God, it's going to be important to me. It's God's will for every member of his family to be an active serving member of a New Testament church. And not just for the benefit of the church, although let me tell you, we benefit from those who are committed to Eastside Baptist Church. I don't ever want to downplay that. I'm thankful for your commitment and your volunteering and the way that you have a passion for Eastside Baptist Church. But your family benefits from a strong church. He wants to use Eastside to take your family from where you are to where he wants you to be. Through teaching and instruction and preaching and fellowship and, and accountability and support and prayer and just being a family. I'm telling you, I value greatly what you do to invest in my children. To invest in my family. I don't ever want to get to the place where I think, well, we got it down. We don't need other help. No, I see how important it is for you to take time to talk to my children and to reach out to them and encourage them and be a blessing to them. It means a lot to us as parents. And I don't know, I would never want to give that up. It's a benefit to us. And I think the parallels are obvious. The work of God for Nehemiah was a wall. And if the wall was weak, the families were weak and unprotected. The parallels are there. The work of God in our day is a local church. And for your family, this church. And if the work of God is weak here, our families are affected. You should have vested, you should have vested interest in the strength of Eastside Baptist Church and the success of Eastside Baptist Church because the strength of this place affects the strength of you and your family. The commitment of those families around the wall was the difference between God's work moving forward or not. They had to care enough to commit to the work because they knew the walls were important for their future. This church is important for your future. So I'm asking you tonight, how committed are you? This church should matter to us, not just because it gives us something to do or stay busy with, but because it's part of God's plan to build and protect Christians and families. There should be no people more passionate and committed to the work of God than those who benefit from the work of God. 
One thing I understand about Eastside Baptist Church is it's not perfect. It probably was before we came, but it's not now. So there are things to be improved and areas to change, and we have our warts, all of us. But imperfection is not a good enough reason to not be all in when you consider the benefits that being part of a church family brings to your family. The fact that Eastside is not perfect makes me think of two things. Number one, we all contribute to the imperfections. We do. But rather than use weaknesses as a reason not to commit, be like the people in Nehemiah who use their incompletions as motivations to strengthen the work. They didn't use the weaknesses as a way to say, okay, this part of the wall is weak, so I'm backing up. No, they said, that part of the wall is weak. I'm going to do my part to make it stronger. And see, a lot of people undermine themselves. And as parents, a lot of parents undermine themselves in that, yes, the church is absolutely important for the family. The family is important for the church. But there are parents that see what the church is doing. And in some ways, they kind of downplay what the church is doing. And what they do is is they undermine the, the strengthening of their own children in doing that. You need to be behind it. Uh, There should not be parents, and it's the same for for our our family. There should not be things that we go home talking about at church that we don't like, and we don't like this direction, we don't like that rule uh, in front of our children. Because we are undermining the authority that God has placed in their lives to help them become all they're supposed to be. And what we do when we do that is that's like one guy down here that's kind of leaning to the side. You're putting the whole thing at risk. And you're undermining the, the ability of the authority that God has placed at, in Eastside Baptist Church to help your family. You've undermined that in your children's lives. Listen, unless it's some big doctrinal shift or it's some huge philosophy thing that you just, can't come, that you just cannot get over, man, get, be all in at Eastside Baptist Church. Don't complain or withdraw. Commit and say, this is something that needs to be shored up. It's a weakness in the wall. Rather than run away from that, man, our family's going to get there. We're going to do what we can to strengthen it. Because if we strengthen that wall, our family gets strengthened too. Because the strength of our family is dependent on the work of God. These people saw the need and they understood the benefit of the wall to their family. They didn't complain about a position. They didn't complain about a place or a responsibility or the leadership or the rate of progress. They just faithfully committed to the work and they let God do his part. And that should be our spirit. Our mindset should be, as a family, I believe in God's intended, and I want to read this. I believe in God's intended benefit through the church to families like mine. So I'm going to do whatever I can to help protect it and be as strong as possible. I'm going to know what I believe and where I stand so I can defend it from the attacks of falsehood. I'm also going to be committed to serve with excellence because I want it to be as effective as possible. I will be in my place. I will be prepared. I will love my church family. I won't let small offenses trip me up. I'll serve where I'm asked the best I can because my family's future is dependent on this work and there won't be anyone more passionate about the work of God than me because I benefit from the work of God. It's a sign of maturity that we contribute to those things from which we benefit. Nobody likes a freeloader. Nobody likes it when someone receives a benefit, but they're not willing to put the effort or time into something. I remember one time in college, uh, I was an intern at a church one summer, 
And, and what, in, what we discovered that interns do over the course of a summer is you help people move because we did it like 12 times. <laughs> Pastor said, you know, they need some help moving. The staff is busy. You three guys, you know, right in the middle of college, one of your summers, guess what you get to do to learn ministry? You get to go help people move. And for the most part, it wasn't a huge deal. But this one house we went to, they were moving and the truck was in the driveway. And we walked in to the house and we looked around and we said, there's not a box in sight. So we went room to room and realized they hadn't even begun putting things in boxes. So we started making boxes and we started emptying drawers and and putting things in the boxes while the man whose household we were moving sat on a recliner And told us what to do next. And I'm not bitter at all about this. At all. All day. They hadn't even, they were, the truck was in the driveway. We're throwing stuff in boxes just trying to get, get them out the door and get the truck on the road. And you know what didn't sit well with me is the fact that he was benefiting directly from what we were providing, the service we were providing, and he didn't contribute one bit. You know, that's, that's kind of the definition of a freeloader. Someone who receives benefits but isn't willing to be mutually beneficial. Someone who's getting their back scratched but hasn't turned around and scratched anybody else's back. It's kind of a gross analogy. I'm not sure why I keep talking about it. I think you can understand my passion for it then. You know, it makes sense on a sports team to us. It's not right for someone to get a trophy if they didn't put in the work. We understand it in society. Those who can work, who can work, and I I don't want to downplay those who can't, but those who can work, but they refuse to work, shouldn't be supported by other people. If someone at work at your job, doesn't do their job, and you have to make up for it, yet they get paid the same amount as you and even might get rewarded with some kind of a bonus for some office-wide benchmark, that's hard to take. There's something in us. But listen, we can't treat the church like that either, though. Because there's benefit to you and there's benefit to your family through this local church, through a local church. When the walls are strong, we all benefit. But let's not let everybody else build the walls and we just benefit. See, there's a balance between benefiting and being a contributor. It doesn't make sense to live behind the wall and not be willing to work to strengthen it. Every one of us has a gift through which we can serve. So get involved. If you see something that needs to be shored up or some weakness along the wall, I mean, say, I will help with that. Not in a critical way. I mean, I'm telling you, don't come ten times and say, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's coming. We, we see it. If you want to be a help, don't be negative. Be positive about it and come and say, listen, I want to be a help because this is an area I think we could do better in. So have a good spirit. Come and, and get involved. Find a place and serve. God puts you here in this body for a reason. And you have a, you have a long list of things you can contribute. Contribute. Because Eastside Baptist Church is only as strong as its families, its members. 
So be strong so the church can be strong. But be passionate about the church being strong because it will help your family be strong. We're standing up together back to back. These are looping benefits. Mutually beneficial to both sides. And plenty of people contribute because they benefit. And I just want to say thank you. I'm thankful for those that make Eastside Baptist Church strong. Because we live in a culture that threatens us. Satan hates us. The world can't stand the work of God, and there's a risk to our families. There's never been a more important time to be passionate about the strength of your family, which helps the strength of this church, which strengthens your family, which strengthens the church, and so on, and so on, and so on. So it's time to have the mind to fight for the things that matter the most. And be willing to stand and contribute. And instead of just sitting behind the wall enjoying the benefits, maybe it's time for you to get involved and help strengthen the wall. Because it benefits you. Which will strengthen the wall. Which benefits you. I love the illustration here of the families in the church. It's, a, it's quite a relationship. And I hope that you will see how Eastside Baptist Church could be helped. Maybe there's some area that you should be more involved. But maybe it also might help you be more thankful that God has placed you in a church that you're benefiting from. Let's, let's have a mind to work together. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.